Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hello, my name is David Hilgen. On this edition of the Future of Risk podcast, we are sharing an interview that aired on Zurich Canada's Perspectives podcast. It's a great discussion between risk engineers in Canada and the United States about the supply chain risks and challenges that businesses have faced during the COVID-19 pandemic and how they can manage and mitigate those risks as we ease our way into a post-pandemic world. Alban Laloum, Head of Customer Distribution, Marketing and Regional Management for Zurich Canada, interviews Chris Snyder, Head of Risk Services for Zurich Canada, and Jennifer Fortunato, Risk Engineering Manager, Construction for Zurich North America. We hope you enjoy this special program. Let's begin with this very topical risk topic, uh, which is supply chain. And this is one area where we don't have a lot of insurance solutions. So we're going to be talking about how we assess, mitigate the risk of supply chain. So Chris, I'll go to you first. So why is supply chain such a challenging risk to assess? I think that one of the reasons why supply chain is pretty difficult to assess is that it's still sort of new to us. Um, 30 plus years ago, um, supply chains weren't what they were today. Uh, With globalization and the movement of goods around the world, it has increased the number of interruption nodes in the supply chain. So to be able to visualize that and to be able to see where the risks are and to understand the impact of those risks became more and more difficult as we moved into the 90s and then into the 2000s. Is there anything in particular that the pandemic the last 12 months has made more acute from a risk standpoint? So to the point you just made, right? So there's really nothing we've known about supply chain risks for some time, but is there anything that stands out as to what happened in the last 12 months that makes assess the assessment and the mitigation of supply chain risks uh, more challenging maybe because of the pandemic or not? There, there are really two things that sort of have have stood out due to uh, the pandemic in, in particular, um, and then other events that surrounded or within inside that same time frame. Uh, the first is the conversation a lot of people are having uh, about offshoring or nearshoring or onshoring. And, you know, is it time to bring supply chains back closer to the uh, purchasing base or bring them uh, with inside the same country? Um, now, in some cases, Uh, That was actually helpful to be offshoring. Um, The wave of the pandemic, by the time it hit North America, the wave had finished in Asia. So people had places that were back up and running there. Whereas if you had your entire supply chain in North America, it would be hit at one time. So you really have to assess it from that standpoint. But the biggest uh, piece of the supply chain that, that we can see clear as day is people misunderstood the importance of their worker with inside their supply chain and how critical they are to making the supply chain work, whether they are on the factory floor, transporting the goods, managing and watching the risk, pivoting to uh, uh, different suppliers. Um, It's just, we we never really thought, or people never really knew how important their workers were, uh, whether they're laborers or their CEOs to their supply chain and in the way it would, uh, 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 would work. 
Right. So it's not just about logistics. It is about the human element of the supply chain. I think that's what the pandemic has really highlighted. If, you're, if your workers are not coming to the office, that's a problem for the supply chain, right? So it's not just about the inability to ship goods left and right. It is about people not showing up to work, right? Well, most definitely. You had people that didn't show up to work because they had people to care for. You had people or, or, or businesses with 400 employees on the floor and half of them ended up contracting COVID. You, you actually create an environment that allowed for the spread to be a bit faster and thus impacting you greater. Can you give us some specific examples of, of an industry or industries in Canada um, which have been particularly affected by uh, disruption in their supply chain? I'm sure there's a couple of examples, right, that are yeah. hitting us home more than just, you know, everybody talks about semiconductors and Taiwan and, and you know, the over-reliance of the supply chain with um, in Taiwan semiconductor. But, but can you give us something more concrete in, in Canada? anything that really falls under the manufacturing banner, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would say that the auto industry itself has experienced uh, an interruption. Now, they're one of the best type of organizations at managing their supply chain, but the complexity of it, uh, you know, a typical car as it's being manufactured in North America could cross the border five or six times, parts moving back and forth. And just uh, the logistics on that and the impact on the tier two, tier three, tier four supplier. If you're going to have an interruption to um, motor vehicle sales of say 25 or 30% um, in 2021, by the time it gets down to the frontline uh, manufacturer, who's, you know, stamping up metal parts, you know, the, the demand just isn't there and they might be reliant on just that one customer. And then of course you could have that, uh, interruption which might actually shut them down. You could have other other industries um, within inside Canada where, um, well, obviously the the frontline industries where people aren't just going out. Uh, for instance, restaurants um, they're they're definitely impacted, and that's simply because the customer base isn't there as it as it usually was. And to pivot to being able to uh, you know work. Uh, without customers inside and delivering hasn't been a model that everybody could sustain. They just didn't have the ability or the finances to pivot to that model once you had uh, various areas of the country shut down for two, three, four weeks at a time. Now, Chris, one element of the supply chain that seems to have resisted particularly well in the last 12 months, and maybe there's just me not being well informed, is the the food supply, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. stores, restaurants, Supermarkets have all been pretty well stocked up throughout the last 12 months. Is that is there something particular about the, the food supply that makes it more resistant than maybe semiconductor or, or other components? Well, for Canada, for yeah. Canada, the majority of our food supply is with inside the continent. So oh. it's 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 essentially it's just working its way. We know that essential workers and, and deliveries have been able to cross the border between Canada, United States, and down into Mexico where you would have, uh, you know, everything uh, from off-season uh, fruits and vegetables would be traveling up from there. Um, with Inside Canada, I mean, it, it, was, it was a little strange that when the pandemic happened, we had a, a shortage on, on toilet paper, where yeah. mm-hmm. the entire supply chain for most toilet papers actually held right with Inside Canada. That was a bit more of a panic. Yeah. But it's not as difficult as getting materials in from, say, India or China, clothing, um, steel, those types of things that have to travel across the ocean to get here, where you have more delays at ports, uh, you know, uh, crossings, uh, uh, 
rail, things like that. So the, the food supply chain wasn't as dependent offshore and made mm-hmm. it a lot easier traveling north-south to still be able to stock the um, uh, uh, fridges in people's homes. Yeah, uh, Jennifer, I'm, I'm going to go to you here. I know you specialize in the construction industry um, in the U.S. in particular, but I'm sure you have knowledge of what's happening in Canada. Construction industry is a key component of the GDP in Canada. What should construction companies expect in terms of constraints which may apply to their supply chain? We've talked about this before, but um, what's so unique about construction in North America? Because I think it's, you know, sure. it spans both Canada and the U.S. Absolutely. You know, Alvin, we've seen all sorts of disruptions to, to all the industries, right, in general, in Canada, in North America, around the world, really as a result of COVID. But we've got to think about the other risks involved here, right? Cyber attacks, bad weather, especially the wildfires. That's big in Canada, North America any natural disasters, um, and then the other ones globally that affect us too, taxation, Brexit, global warming, all of those really have an impact on our industries, but especially in construction. So what has happened? We mentioned the workers, right, the workforce. We had travel restrictions within Canada, within North America, and globally. And you mentioned workers not coming to work, not being able to work, because of sickness, well, they couldn't get there. When you have remote job sites and remote projects like, say, Fort McMurray, mining projects, large remote areas where we actually house these workers for long periods of time, they couldn't get there. Travel restrictions really put had an impact on that. Air travel being reduced, logistics disruptions on all modes of transportation, that affected our materials, and it's going to continue. They're saying that the COVID effect, it's probably going to last at least another 12 months. That's going to affect our workforce crossing borders, getting materials to the job sites. When you look at, say, Trudeau's infrastructure plan that he put in place a few years ago, what goes into infrastructure construction, right? Concrete. Mm -hmm. Well, We all know what happens with lumber or what's going on with lumber right now and the cost of lumber and the supply of lumber. We're not having a problem harvesting the lumber in Canada, but the transportation of getting that lumber out of Canada into other parts of the world and to North America, that's been backed up. So what do we have to use instead of that? Well, we're going to be using concrete more often, and there could be a shortage of concrete. Um, We see steel that goes into infrastructure, rebar. Where does that come from? Typically overseas, China. So again, the workforce. But when you also think of infrastructure, we think of transportation routes. So if we're not able to do the work on the infrastructure that we need to, maybe it's getting decrepit, or maybe we have projects that have been mothballed, we are affecting transportation routes and therefore the supply chains of others and getting those products even within country. So lumber, I mentioned lumber, right? It takes time. We're harvesting all of this lumber, but we've got to think about it takes time to grow trees and to replant that supply and for those to grow and, and to reforest those areas with you know, our environmental concerns that we have. We're still seeing construction in general being shut down, completely shut down in some areas or um, some mothballed projects. Those projects, we've got to think about the long-term financing effects that they've had, protecting that property or what's happened to it while it's been vacant. And then the last one I'll mention is 
What we're seeing a lot more in construction is the prefabrication or modular components that are going into construction projects. And this is where we assemble parts of a construction project off-site in a controlled environment, say a factory setting, where it's a great thing when it's done right and not in COVID times. There's quality control. It increases the efficiency of the project. It might make it go faster. We can control the delivery of those components to that site to make those prefabricated pieces of the modular components. But again, those that might have been disrupted. We have to get those parts to those facilities. We have to get the workers to those facilities. What if there was an outbreak within those factories? Now the work environment's completely changed in there. We have to have certain social distancing rules. The cost to do work has gone up because of PPE that's needed. So those are just a couple of things that I can think of that's really impacted the construction industry from this. So that just a lot to that's a lot to take in here. Jennifer, what what do you recommend companies do when they decide they're going to get their hands around the supply chain risks? Like you just mentioned, right? So you're a construction company, you know that you're operating in a very different environment today than you were a couple of years ago. Um, you're aware of possible disruption in your supply chain or already experiencing those disruptions. What do we have to say to these customers? How, how, what's the, what, how do we help customers uh, get, get a handle on their supply chain risk? What's the methodology? What's the process? What are the tools? that are um, available to customers to try to get uh, uh, their head around these risks? Sure, so in my mind, it comes down to three things. And it really starts with a top-down approach within an organization. You have to have the involvement and the commitment from senior leadership. They have to understand the supply chain within that organization. It comes down to using digital solutions and then also doing a supply chain assessment or a deconstruction of their supply chain and really understanding all of the key components and the tiers. So we've seen supply chain growing in importance within organizations. We see senior leadership getting more involved than ever in their organizations. But I'm gonna quote a statistic here from the BCI. That's the Business Continuity Institute. This is a, a globally based organization. Their members work in the business resilience field. They do an annual survey every year of probably about 400 companies that are in this field. And according to the report they published for 2021, there's still one in six organizations that carry out due diligence on their key suppliers during procurement. Only one in six. And then a quarter of those, they still fail to do so after the contracts are signed with these companies. So what does that say? That we really have an opportunity to better understand our suppliers and then the suppliers supplying them in every single tier of that. So we may have a tier two or three supplier that is actually getting their backlog or their component from one of our critical suppliers, and we didn't know that until we actually deconstructed that supply chain. So it's really about finding the right solution. And there's many digital solutions out there that can help them, that can help an organization, but they have to find the one that's right for them. Some of them focus just on shipping routes, maybe taking product port to port, or they focus on inland marine and the transportation of cargo. But 
here at Zurich, we partner with a company called Risk Methods. And Risk Methods is an organization that will monitor the supply chain of an organization. They provide early warning notifications of interruptions from, from several hazards, from anything from natural catastrophe, hurricanes, those kind of things, to geopolitical strike, to global pandemic illness. And then really importantly, they can provide information as to when operations might come back online. So that was important, what we saw in COVID at a global level, where we had waves of outages, meaning North America might have been down, but operations were back up and running over in Asia. And then when we were back up and running to some level, then they experienced over in Europe or in Asia they were going down again due to the different waves of COVID hitting the population. So I would suggest, look, a company, a digital solution like risk methods combined with Zurich Risk Services, we, that's, that's a winning combination. Use your risk managers, use your risk services, and you really need to identify where is that single point of failure? What could cause the weakest link or what is the weakest link in your chain? And don't be afraid to undergo that deconstruction of your supply chain. I think to echo Jennifer's words there, as supply chains have become more complex, whether it's in the construction industry or not, we've seen a spread and a deviation of those that are on the supply risk management side looking at incoming goods, where they might be looking at where am I going to go, how many units am I going to buy? versus the risk manager who's on the downstream side, who's now looking at what's the revenue going out and how do I protect that revenue? If they aren't talking together or bringing themselves together, there's a disconnect. A a logistics manager, supply chain manager, may be looking at, oh, I need to protect this supply because we spend so much money on it or we bring in 10,000 units, but that might only go into a product that's worth 10 or 15% of the overall revenue. And there could be a small supply that's very critical, a small spend, a small buy, small volume, but it's going into uh, part of the revenue that's covering 60%. Uh, So it's bringing those two parties back together and making sure they're talking and understanding the upstream to the downstream and where that spend results in uh, revenue or potential loss to revenue. Chris, I think that that's a really good point. There are many reasons, you know, that, companies might be hesitant to actually do something with their supply chain or to enhance what they have going on with their supply chain. You know, unfortunately, maybe they've never really had to understand their suppliers. Maybe it's been a relationship company um, through generations, right? Brought up through generations. Maybe they don't have the manpower. Maybe they think they don't have the means. Or in reality, maybe they've just rolled the dice and they've really gotten lucky over the years until COVID hit or a natural disaster or wildfire or something really made them stop and think, wow, this is something I need to pay attention to, or I thought I was paying enough attention to it, but now I really need to dive in deeper and understand more about it. And, you know, there is a cost. There's a cost to understanding and maintaining your supply chain, whether it's Maybe you have to add a department. Maybe you have to add a risk manager. Maybe you need to invest in a digital solution. But that's the difference in an organization being a proactive versus a reactive organization and and being prepared. 
right, which can really save money. It can save that company revenues and shareholders and save the cost of their shares. And it's going to help them to be maybe even to keep afloat. So it can be really overwhelming sitting down, taking that time to dive in and to think about all those moving parts and every little component and every little company and the type of transportation and the sequence and the process that goes into their end product. And it can be daunting and scary, but you know what? It, it doesn't have to be. There's companies out there that can help with that. Like I mentioned before, risk methods, Zurich risk services, there's other digital solutions that can help them with understanding that supply chain and really knocking down that that fear of diving in and the time that it takes to deconstruct their supply chain. So I just encourage everybody to to get into it. So Jennifer, what if I'm a $25 million company, right? Not a billion dollar company. And I do have a potential issue in my supply chain. I don't have the money to spend on you know, a global risk assessment of my supply chain. So what, what is available to small, medium-sized companies to get some sense of sure. where their supply chain risks are, right? So yeah. how do we prioritize the, the needs of a $25 million revenue company versus a billion or $2 yeah. billion dollar company? Right? Absolutely. Start small. Start with using your risk services. We can do that here at Zurich. We can help a company with doing a basic supply chain assessment and mapping of their supply chain to help them to understand where is that weakest link. We go upstream, we go downstream, we look at their end product and we take it all the way through the process, all the way up and down, like I just said, and we look at where could failure happen. And you know what? A lot of times it's where they least expect it. And they, they, it was a place where they maybe weren't spending a lot of money or weren't spending a lot of time or had a relationship for years or decades. And they didn't think that could be their failure. So start in-house, start doing something in-house within your organization. And then maybe eventually you evolve to doing something with a digital solution. And that doesn't have to cost a lot for that, um, that identification of that at all. Chris, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, it's working in-house, taking some advice from individuals that can help out using your insurance carrier to bring back some information will be helpful. But you mentioned deconstruction. I've been talking about that for years now. You start with your finished product that is producing the most revenue or one of those products and start going backwards to the beginning. And as you deconstruct that product, you will see the areas or the parts or the supply line that you need to concentrate on. And that way, if you're looking at saying, hey, this has a thousand parts, you whittle it down to the to the most critical ones. And now all of a sudden you've shrunk down that whole supply assessment or that complexity, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 times. Um, getting back to maybe only having to look at 10 suppliers or supply routes. So that's a good way for um, a a smaller industry to start. Let me pick something that's making money. Let me deconstruct it and find the main points that are are critical. And then just looking and continuing back as far as you can, continue the deconstruction. You'll understand the value impact as it gets uh, through. So Chris and Jennifer, thank you very much for your time today. I always uh, like to end the podcast on, uh, on some personal questions, if I may. So what do you guys do? Uh, what have you been doing for the last 12 months? Trying to, you know, staying home, but keeping your, 
your sanity in check. So, so Jennifer, what do you do when you have some free time and you're not thinking about supply chain insurance or Zurich? Sure. So we have two rescue dogs that really take a lot of time. And um, boy, have they gotten used to us being at home. So hate to see uh, what happens when we actually start traveling a little bit here for work. And um, between the dogs and a couple of kids that are, uh, Richard's kids are coming back from school. One's graduated and one's in their junior year. So back and forth with them. And then we're looking forward to traveling. Um, we've got family in Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, and hopefully later this summer, we're going to be able to get back out and, and start traveling again and, and going to see them. So Great. That's awesome. Thank you, Jennifer. Chris, I've been looking at you on, on Zoom or Teams for the last 12 months, and you're always wearing the same sweater. So um, once the pandemic ends and you can get a new sweater, what else are you going to do after this pandemic? Uh, well, it's uh, cold in my basement, so wearing that uh, sweater that just hangs down here for me. Um, I, I'm still, my my passions are, are getting out and trail running, riding, um, so I'm still able to get out and do that uh, now, now that the weather's a little bit warmer. Um, but definitely looking forward to getting back onto the golf course. It's uh, something that I miss, and unfortunately, I don't have the ability to golf inside yet. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you very much uh, to you both. Very, um, very interesting conversation today. Um, take care of yourself. Be well, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. So we heard Jennifer and Chris talk about supply chain risks and how do we assess the risks with the supply chain. And it can be overwhelming is what I'm taking away from this conversation. So in order to not be overwhelmed with how to assess your overall uh, supply chain, we've used the term a couple of times of deconstruct the supply chain. And, and what this really talks about is look at your end product, look at the product that generates the most revenues for you as a firm, and then go to you know zeroing on what that supply chain uh, is for that one product that generates the most revenue for you. So prioritize your supply chain risk, go to find out the bottlenecks, because that's where you're going to want to spend some time to do away with the bottlenecks. The good news is that there are some, there's methodologies, uh, tools available to customers to do that. Insurance companies are a good source of information. Insurance uh, engineering reports are going to be a good source of information for brokers and customers, because they identify in some cases who are some of these suppliers, so they can be a good starting point in the conversation. So don't be too intimidated with, um, with supply chain risks. It is not only for billion-dollar company and global firms. I was trying to make the point that medium-sized and even small companies should spend maybe a little bit of time trying to assess their supply chain risks at their level, because it's important to everyone whether you're a $10 million business or a $10 billion business. And I think that's the lesson that a lot of companies have learned in the last 12 months is this isn't just about semiconductors. This isn't just about the Suez Canal, right? This can be about, you know, how we impacted in the greater Toronto area, how we impacted in the Vancouver greater area. Um, as small, medium-sized companies experience for the first time, probably uh, disruption in their supply chain risks. So interesting topic. We'll have more uh, non-insurance topics on this podcast in the next several weeks and months. I hope you find this interesting. 
As always, you can find the podcast on the Zurich Canada website. If you have suggestions and ideas, email us at ca.podcast at zurich.com. Thank you for your time. Be well, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week. This has been a production of TNKR 